when we get right down to it, these two things, money and power, are the two things that the human heart probably desires most. When you get down right into the center of people in general, what they want out of life is money or authority, power, notoriety, those types of things. Most people see money and power as the thing that motivates their working life, right? You work in order to receive money or to receive and gain authority, correct? This is what you want to do. You're working because you want to be the boss or because you want to make a lot of money, right? These are motivating factors. And it's for this reason that I think Jesus is so extreme about the way he addresses both these issues, both what we talked about last week and as we talk about power or authority this week. Because money and power turn out to be the two primary idols in the lives of human beings, don't they? If you want to pick two things that are relentlessly worshipped in the place of Jesus in our culture, then you would probably put money and power in that place, wouldn't you? And because these two twin idols are so pernicious, Jesus tends to go right at them to take them on uh, very clearly and very succinctly. And can I just ask very quickly, uh, how many of you like to be in charge? You can raise a hand for this. How many of you like to be in charge? All my firstborns up in here, right? I like to be in charge. It might come to a surpri- as a surprise to you. I'm like Captain America in that Civil War movie. I think that uh, the safest hands are still my own, right? Are always my own. The, it's this natural impulse in many of us, right? To be in charge, to be in control. And very often that power that we want, that, that desire that we have within our hearts to be in control, to make sure that our will is being done out in the world, right? That our will is being done over the sphere of authority that we have is slightly misplaced because we really think in our heads, many of us, that if I could just call the shots, right? If I could just get into the place of authority, if somebody would just give me enough power, I could sort this whole mess out, right? Right? In our heads, we think that. That's at the very least what we're thinking when we're watching the news and we're going, those idiots, right? That's, at the very least, that's what we're thinking in that, when we're watching that, right? We're thinking that, oh, yeah, if, just make me the president and then everything's co- totally good, right? This is what we're thinking. This is what uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the philosopher, called uh, the will to power, this internal desire that we all have to kind of master our surroundings and to master the world, in fact, and to make it kind of bend to our will, right? It's this idea that as I walk through, the, as I walk through my life, I don't need to accommodate other people. Other people need to accommodate to me, right? This is the will to power. This is what Nietzsche talked all about. And he said that this, and he would argue that this was the prime motivator in the heart or in the the internal, in, the inside of every person, that this will to power. He actually teaches that, uh, but this is different than Jesus, right? This is a slightly different than Jesus because Jesus actually teaches that my will and your will is not what it's all about, that it's actually all about, and he puts this in a prayer that's pretty famous, it's all about God's will, Right? and submitting to that. It's actually about humility, because the person who thinks they can run the whole world 
is actually terribly misguided and we would say a little bit delusional, right? So in some sense, we're all terribly misguided and a little bit delusional. So much so that if you actually want to be great in God's world, if you actually want to attain greatness, if you want to be a leader who actually makes a positive impact in this world, you have to understand that it is your primary job not to rule, not to bring your will to bear on everybody around you, right? It's not control. It's not even coercion, right, which is a, which is a negative side of power. The thing that you need to do if you want to lead in the kingdom of God is, in fact, to serve. And in our teaching text for today, Jesus does something fairly familiar. Uh, He uses the Pharisees as a little bit of a punching bag, right? He uses the Pharisees and and the teachers of the law as a negative example of leadership in order to point us in the right direction. That's what Jesus was doing in this passage, to show us that what true and impactful leadership looks like in the kingdom of God looks like a servant, right? To show each of us how best to live within our own spheres of influence and control. Because here's one truth about uh, leadership, power, authority. It's that we all have some of it, right? Some of us might not think we have very much, but we all have a sphere of authority, right? We all have a sphere of control. And so no matter where we find ourselves, no matter how low, low we think we are on the totem pole, right, there is an area in which we have authority, in which we rule, in which the teachings of Jesus for today need to be brought to bear on our spheres of authority, our, the spheres of our active will, you might say. All right? All right. So, let's turn, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn back to Matthew chapter 4. We'll center almost all of our time there this morning. Uh, you can pull it up on your phones. If you don't have a Bible, there's a, there's a Bible under the chair in front of you. It's helpful to follow along. The, it'll, uh, our passages for today will also be on the screen, but it's always helpful to make sure I'm not lying. All right? So, uh, Jesus essentially breaks down this passage into two sections. So the first section is his criticism of the Pharisees, and the second section is his instruction to how leadership should function, right? And so uh, he basically criticizes the Pharisees in two specific ways. And for today, I've just titled uh, the ways in which Jesus criticizes the Pharisees as uh, examples of what you could call toxic leadership ways in which the Pharisees were exerting their authority and power in ways that were toxic, in ways that were hurting the people. So, uh, we'll find our first example of this in verses 3 through 4, and it reads like this, "'But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them.'" So, first, toxic leadership does not practice what it preaches. Toxic leadership doesn't practice what it preaches. Remember that uh, this very passage, if you were with us three weeks ago, Jesus references this passage, uh, or I reference this passage from uh, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus is again criticizing the Pharisees about um, having a heavy religious yoke. And he says in opposition to the Pharisees that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He references that same idea here again. The religious set were wielding their teachings like a hammer, 
in, in Jesus' day, to bring about what this word that we like to use in our day even, a behavior modification, right? They were, uh, they were trying to get the people to do things externally. They were trying to modify behavior, but they weren't actually willing to serve the people in a way that would help them. Any of us who have lived in a religious environment for any period of time know what this type of abuse of power looks and feels like, I think. Maybe it's the religious guilt trip that your grandmother used on you when you got in trouble in her house, right? I don't know. My, both my grandmas didn't do this, but maybe yours did. Um, uh, maybe uh, it's even worse than that. Maybe it's this heavy-handed religious culture where everyone pretends that they are perfect and that when they come to church, everything is good all the time, right? And that everybody is kind of trying to conform to this external moral, this set of external moral norms, right? And there's this kind of cultural pressure that's put on everybody to conform, to be perfect, to be what everybody else is projecting themselves to be, right? It's this heavy burden, right? It's like what Jesus said. It's this heavy burden. It's this yoke that is being put on the people by a culture that says the most important thing that you need to do is conform externally, right? And it happens to be not about the heart at all. These type of leaders, leaders that uh, create environments like this, like to talk a lot about the rules. They like to talk a lot about the law of God, right? But they don't want to talk much about their own brokenness, right? They don't want to be in touch with those parts of themselves that are broken and in need of God's favor and grace. Because the truth is, it is easier to just make a bunch of rules and weigh people down with them in order to change behavior than it is to actually be with people, to serve them, to bear burdens with other people, isn't it? It's easier just to say, here's the standards, you better follow them, right? It's an easier thing to do than actually putting yourself on the line relationally for somebody else. Rather than living and loving and serving people in ways ways that actually help them step into flourishing in wholeness, right? These type of leaders don't do that. They just kind of cage their own hearts, and they create a bunch of rules, and then they expect everybody in their vicinity to do what they say. This is what Jesus is criticizing the, uh, the Pharisees for. And Jesus says this is really, what this is, is disingenuous, right? That, that if, if you create a culture like this, it's, it's, a, it's a way of not actually practicing in your heart what you're saying everybody has to do in their uh, actions or in their practice, right? And I just want to say to you today, um, and on a practical note, that um, we don't want to be a church like this. We don't want to be a church that struggles with this practice, what you preach thing. We don't want to be a church that creates uh, a toxic environment where it's all about behavior modification, and it's not in any way about the heart. This isn't what we want to do or be. This isn't, this isn't what we want people to feel when they walk in, that they have to be a certain way in order to be a part of us, right? Because this is a kind of toxic leadership that creates um, external validation, but on the inside doesn't create the type of life change that Jesus is actually driving at. And so some of us need to unlearn this. 
And it's probably the people who have spent the most time as followers of Jesus in church settings that need to unlearn some of these things. Because we've, we've learned to rely on the culture, right? We've learned to rely on the way we talk. We've learned to rely on kind of those religious platitudes that we repeat over and over and over again. And we don't always let those things sink down into our hearts, right? And so... Part of learning to, live, to practice what you preach is learning to live in, in a very acquainted way with your own brokenness in public. And I don't mean like come up here and, yeah, now it's time for everybody to come up and share. But um, who's first? But I do mean in, in authenticity, right? The, the antidote to... Uh, toxic leadership that doesn't practice what, you, what it preaches is spiritual authenticity, relational authenticity. Does this make sense? And that's what we want to foster and build. We want a church that actually, uh, where we share our burdens and our struggles so that we can actually bear them with one another. Does this make sense? We can all agree, I think, that none of us is perfect, that none of us has it all together. And in humility, and in humility, we should endeavor to practice what we preach, okay? Okay, so that's the first thing that Jesus runs after. The second thing that Jesus runs after, we uh, attacks the Pharisees for, is found in uh, verses 5 through 7. He says this, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. Uh, this uh, abuse of power, I want to say, uh, I want to say, toxic leadership, toxic leadership, as opposed to uh, the leadership that Jesus wants for us. Toxic leadership is all about your ego, or my ego. Philacrates and wide tassels were religious garments. Philacrates, well, you don't, we don't need to get into the, we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty of religious garments, but uh, philacrates and tassels were, were clothing that religious people wore in order to kind of designate themselves. We do this in our culture too, right? Uh, you go to many churches and pastors will wear um, robes. Is that a good word? Uh, but we don't just do it in religious settings, right? Police wear police uniforms. Uh, firefighters wear firefighting uniforms. Uh, at, your, at you and I, people who are on staff will wear something, right, to designate that they're on staff at the school. This is a common thing that we do, but the problem is when you begin to um, make, uh, make a lot of that thing that designates who you are, Right? It would be like if a doctor wore his scrubs into church to communicate to all of us, I'm a doctor, everyone. I'm not just a normal person. I'm a doctor, right? So you've got to treat me a certain way, right? This, is, this was what, what they were doing. They were, they were uh, wearing their religious garments around, and they were making their tassels really long and their phylacteries really wide, which was like a shawl that went over them. And they were trying to t- communicate to everybody that, uh, that I am a religious person. And this was all about ego, wasn't it? It was all about getting people to notice the, those religious leaders. And they loved the attention that they got, right? They loved it because they got to go to all the good, they got to go to all the good banquets, 
They got to sit in the seats of honor when they went to public gatherings. People would come up and give them respect and call them rabbi and kind of do what they said, right? And this is a hard one for us, I think, because we like respect, right? We all like to be noticed. I don't think there's anything inherently bad with somebody going, I thought you did a really good job today. I appreciated whatever it is you do, right? That's, that's a normal part of being human. But for these Pharisees, their ego, their ego was, was so tied up in their identity, their identity was so tied up with their ego that they couldn't really differentiate those two things. And they needed needed to be seen and needed to be noticed. And this is the real problem with tying up your identity or your position of authority with your ego. Because if you're not given your due, right, if you're not acknowledged, if you're not given the seat of honor, if you're not uh, invited to the good party or you don't sit with the popular kids, what does that do inside of you when, when your power, your identity, your sphere of influence is tied up with your ego? Well, it makes you quite angry, doesn't it? makes you quite mad when people don't acknowledge you and what you've earned, right? Well, I went to the years of school, and I've put in 25 years at this company, and I deserve a little respect, right? We all feel the ways in which this comes out of us, doesn't it? We all feel the ways in which that we're, we've tied our identity to our ego, and it has become unhealthy, right? I think, I think we've all done this. But what Jesus points out is that this is superficial, that the things we want, the, things, the ways in which we want people to acknowledge, the things we want people to acknowledge us for when we tie our leadership in with our ego is we want them to acknowledge us for things that are external, right? We, we, want, uh, we want people to see our nice coat and our nice shoes and think we're rich and we have a little, we have a little cachet in the community, right? We, we do all of these things externally to try to assert ourselves, to try to gain a sphere of active will in the world in order to have influence or to have people say things to us that we want them to say to us. But it's never actually good, is it? It's never actually good. And it's never actually set you on a, a trajectory that would be life-giving either. Because the more you need that from people, the more kind of rotten you come, become on the inside. And the truth of the matter is, is that no matter how accomplished you are, no matter how wide your phylacteries, you're never going to, excuse me, you're never going to get all of the praise, all of the acknowledgement, all of the love that you want or need. I think we've all had that person in our life where you just kind of always got to be showing them the love, Right? And if you're not always showing them the love, they're like, why, why didn't you call me last week? They're like, I was in the hospital. I'm sorry, but you should have called me because I had a really hard week. And you're like, I did too. I was in the hospital, right? <laughs> this happens from time to time because we've tied up our identity, right, with our ego, and it actually hampers our leadership. It actually doesn't allow us to lead well. It actually doesn't allow us to even serve well because it's all about us. And how could you serve anybody when it's all about you, right? Right. So Jesus turns from these criticisms of the Pharisees into uh, a positive teaching, right? He plays off of his criticisms of the Pharisees. He uses them as a negative example, and then he uh, jumps into what true greatness actually looks like. He begins defining it for uh, his followers. And now something you should notice from this passage is that Jesus is not just telling his disciples this. 
It says at the beginning of this passage that Jesus told the crowds and his disciples. So Jesus is making, first has made a public spectacle of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? He has called them out to the people who follow them, which is not, uh, a, which is not a very nice thing to do, right? And it's probably part of the reason they crucified him a couple of days later, right? It's true. So Jesus begins to make um, some, public, some, uh, some positive points from his criticism of the Pharisees, and that begins in uh, chapter 8, in uh, verse 8, excuse me, verse 8, 9, and 10. So he says there, but you are not to be called rabbi, which just means teacher, for you have, no te- sorry, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. So Jesus says essentially me, right? So I just want to point out one thing. that This does not mean that someone is not to be called or referred to by a title, right? So this doesn't mean that you can't call your doctor doctor, Right? Because Jesus said, I'm not supposed to call you by anything, right? Or that you, your children can't refer to their teachers in school as teacher, right? This is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying here is that in the kingdom of God, character is more important than title. Does this make sense? That the character we cultivate is far more important than the titles that we carry. The conditions of our heart is far more important than anything else about us. And we can have a title that designates a job, right? Because it's important that we know who does what in society, because otherwise we'd just all be running around looking for the person who's supposed to turn our water on and off, right? The titles are important. It's Danny, by the way. He can do that. Uh, No, he can't. I'm joking. (laughs) Um, uh, It's important, right? It's, it, it's important to know who does what, and so titles are not what Jesus is attacking here. T- Jesus is attacking here titles that set people over and above other people as being more important than other people, right? Because a rabbi, a teacher, is far more important than a student, right? And, a, and in this day, a teacher of the law was far more important than some other person. In Jesus' day, there was kind of a stratification. There was almost a, a class system of people, Right? Who was, who was valuable, who was more valuable, or who was less valuable. And Jesus is attacking that idea. And he says uh, in verse 8, he says, you are all brothers. I will add sisters to that for everyone in here. Uh, you are all brothers and sisters. You are all brothers and sisters. No matter what title you have, no matter how many years you went to school, no matter how long you've been at that company, no matter if you're standing up in front of a group of people with a microphone in your hand, you are all brothers and sisters. There there is a level playing field of value and worth, right? There is not a caste system. There is not a stratification of who is more important than other people. Just because you have a job where you have a little bit of authority and you can kind of tell people what to do does not mean that you are more important than the people who are working for you, right? It does not mean that you devalue them as less important. Everyone is a brother and sister. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. There is no hierarchy in the kingdom of God because everyone has one father and we are all students of Jesus. Everyone has one Father, and we are all students of Jesus. Christians are people who think and believe that they are no better than anyone else, right? 
that they are no better than anyone else, that we are all learning at the feet of Jesus, that we are all growing. And title and position don't make you or I any different or better than anybody else. Just because we have a job, just, we ha- just because we have a task, just because we have a, a responsibility doesn't mean we're any better than anyone else. Imagine if people in places of authority actually believed and acted like this, right? Imagine the different way that people who actually have positional authority and would, how they would act if they actually believed this, right? If you actually believed that you were no better than anybody else, you just had a different job. You had to just have a different responsibility. You just had a different set of gifts, and that it was your responsibility to steward those gifts and serve other people. If we actually believed this, how different our world would be, right? How different your experience at work with that boss would be, right? If he or she actually believed this. Jesus made it quite clear that true greatness is not a byproduct of your uh, institutional or situational power. It's not, true greatness is not about your ability to bend other people to your will. It's not your, about your ability to coerce other people to do what you want them to do. True greatness is your ability to see that you and I are no better than any other person and that it's our primary responsibility in life to serve, to serve, and not to get our will over on top of other people and make them do what we want them to do. Because you don't know what's right and I don't know what's right, but we serve a God who does, and we do our best to all follow that God together. Does this make sense? So that's number one. The second thing Jesus says, essentially, and I just boiled it down to this, true greatness comes from willingness to serve. And in verse 12, he makes this clear. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Serving in humility actually rids us of that destructive desire to be seen and noticed for how important we are. So the antidote to your your and my pride is humble service. We are all prideful people, aren't we? We all struggle with our own ego, right? We all want to be seen. We We all long to be Uh, to be noticed or to be appreciated. We all want to be in charge. We all think that if we could just have the reins of this organization, we could make it so much better. If my wife would just listen to me, everything would go fine, right? We think this. Jesus says, in the same way that last week the antidote for the love of money was giving money away, the antidote for that type of a, a feeling or emotion in our hearts is to say, I'm going to willingly serve, right? I'm going to willingly submit my will to, to someone else's will and to serve them in order to root that desire out of my heart, Serving for Jesus is actually discipleship that aligns us into the kingdom of God. This is why, uh, this is why Paul's instruction to uh, husbands in both Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians is to serve his family or his wife, because in that culture, husbands were technically more important, right? And Paul's trying to get a, get across to these 
men who were in power, who had control, who had a sphere of active will, they had power over the very lives of people, that this was not how it actually functioned. And so in order to get yourself out of that place, what did he ask them to do? He asked them to serve, didn't he? He asked them to serve as a means of discipling their heart, as as a means of showing them again who they actually are and what they're actually like. And for each of us, the truth of the matter is, if we are um, harboring ill will towards people because they're not giving us our due or they're not listening to us or they're not... Um, they're not respecting us, or they're not doing any of the things that we want done in the right way. The way to root that out of our heart is to serve those very people, right? Is to see it as our primary mission in the world, to serve those people. This is how it's done. This is what This is what true leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. And if every person, and if all of us, let's just say, over our uh, realm of authority, over whatever, um, whatever place we have authority, decided that we were not going to uh, make our will be done in that place, right? It's not mine will be done. If we were going to choose that our only responsibility in the spheres in which we have authority is to uh, love and serve well, if that was our mission, how different would our lives be? How different would our places of work be? How different would our very homes be? Because I don't know about you, but one of the greatest temptations of parenthood is to just make my will be done because they're little, and I can pick them up and put them in their rooms, right? For at least a year and a half, they're going to be little, and I'll still be able to pick them up. I don't, I don't, I don't firemen carry my children around and throw them, it's just for the record. But that's the, temp- the it's, it's an analogy, people. Uh, but that's the temptation, right? It's the temptation to make my children do what I want them to do, when in reality, my responsibility is not to make them do what, they want, I, what I want them to do, but is rather to serve them into flourishing, right? To serve them, and my responsibility, the reason I've been given leadership over my children, and my wife and I have been given leadership over our children, is so that we can love and serve them into adulthood, right? So that we can, we can cultivate hearts within them that are good hearts, Right? we just lord our authority over our children, that won't do. We might get some momentary behavior modification, but we won't actually get any heart change, will we? And that is what we're going for. That is what we're going for. So, to conclude, you will find, you will find yourself most fulfilled, not when everything you do is geared towards your own advancement or notoriety, but when everything you do is directed towards the success of other people. We will find our lives the most fulfilled when everything we do is geared towards the success of other people, and we're willing to serve them and love them into those places. People who do this, people who do this are infectious. I don't know if you've actually been around someone who sees it as their primary responsibility to simply serve, love, and affirm other people, but these people are truly infectious, and you can understand why Jesus calls them great 
in this passage, can't you? When you're actually around one who doesn't, who doesn't experience their own lives and their own ego and their own power as something to just simply be wielded over on top of people, but rather sees their power and their authority and the sphere of their active will as an opportunity to serve and love other people. It's power. They, they see their power as not power over people to coerce them, but it was rather power under people to, to support, encourage, and love. It's this beautiful picture of what we're called to do in the kingdom. People who, we're called to be people who are looking for ways to help, are looking for ways to prop up and support other people. And in the language of the Bible, this is called a servant. This is called a servant. It is actually in and through service that you and I are able to attain greatness, according to Jesus. That you are, and actually that you and I are able to attain to our full potential in God's good world. It's not through the, the acquisition of power or money that we uh, step into all that God created us to be. It is actually through the laying down of our own power, the acknowledgement of the fact that we are not the center of the world, that God is, that it is not our active will that we are trying to bring to bear in our own hearts and in our community. It is rather God's will that we are trying to bring to bear there. And the only way that that is going to happen, the only way it's going to happen is if you and I commit ourselves to serving and to loving other people in the same way that Jesus came to serve and love us. You know, there's uh, the most famous illustration of this teaching that Jesus has uh, happened at the what is commonly referred to as the Last Supper, but was a Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating with his, uh, with his disciples when he gave them uh, communion. And so all the disciples kind of walk into the room and they say, all right, Jesus, we're here. Let's celebrate the Passover. And he says, no, 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 wait, everybody sit down. And he gets out a basin, he gets out some water, and he kneels at the feet of Peter, which, who, who was the loudest disciple. And Peter says, what are you doing? And Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter says, uh, no, you're not. Right? And Jesus looks up at him and says the most amazing thing. He says, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. You have no part with me. To which Peter responds, pour some water on my head then, <laughs> right? Like, do the, well, let's get in this thing, right? Because I want to have a part of this. Jesus took quite seriously this, this initiative. In Jesus' day, the, the position of a foot washer was the position of the lowliest servant in the house. No one uh, would wash feet unless they were the very lowest of the low. In the Middle East, it's still the same way. The bottom of the foot is considered offensive. You would never put your feet up on your desk. Uh, and point them at anybody. That would be a quick way to lose a lot of business. But Jesus makes quite clear that if we're not willing to serve, that we have no part with him, that we have no part with him. And I think the part of the reason that Jesus is so harsh on the Pharisees in this passage is that because they have the letter of the law correct, right? They are reciting it in a way that people understand. And in the same way, in church, very often, people can have the letter of the law correct. They can say all the right things, and they can do all the right things, but if their heart are, is not aligned towards love and service, it really doesn't matter at all. And as a community of faith, 
if our hearts aren't aligned towards love and service, there is no amount of lip service that we can give to any truth or reality that's going to matter one iota. It's just not. If we want to have a portion with Jesus, if we want to be a part of him, if we want to be a part of what he is doing in the world, then it is our responsibility to lay aside our ego, to begin to practice what we preach, and to begin to choose service over and above our own wills being done in the world. You know, part of the reason we pray, thy will be done, is because it reminds us that it is not our will, that God longs to be done. It is his. And it is our responsibility to bring that will to bear, not through uh, heavy-handed tactics, not through overly religious language, not by being the, the moral, morality police, but rather to serve and love those around us. That's your only job. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we want to have a part with you. So uh, today, in this week, in this month, in this year, would we be people who practice what we preach? Would we not exert our authority over our, over those areas where we have power, God, whether it be a small sphere of authority or whether it be a large sphere of authority, would we not be people who lead like the Pharisees, but rather would we see that greatness in the kingdom of God is all about service and that as we embrace service, as we choose to serve and love, to lay ourselves down for other people, as we, as we endeavor to be little ambassadors of Jesus who laid his life down for us, as we, as we learn to kill our ego by serving in uh, seemingly small and insignificant ways, as we learn to kill our ego in that way, we will step more and more and more into the fullness of what God has for us, and that we will be a people who look like Jesus and sound like Jesus and love like Jesus and serve like Jesus. God, we don't want to be perfect people. We don't want to, get, to garner everyone's respect and then, but not be, uh, to not be changed on the inside. Would you, would you uh, make us an authentic and loving people who long to go out into this world and serve? We love you, Jesus. And we ask you would help us to love you more. We pray it all in your name. Amen and amen. Go today in the grace and in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 